0: Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Moon, Body, Soul. Today, I have a special guest. I have Swan Huntley. She is an artist, a writer. She's published three novels, and her latest book is this super fun, gifty book that's called The Bad Mood Book. And I'm really excited to talk to you today because I actually don't know too much about you. I just know from what you share on social media, We really, um, I really relate to what you share. I love your sense of humor. And I think I started following you because of either finding on social media or your greeting cards oh
1: interesting
0: yeah i don't know which is first but i do know that i've seen your greeting cards around los angeles uh maybe that was it and then also we had a weird connection to love yoga the studio
1: oh yeah okay i did a teacher training at love yoga
0: (laughs) there we go that might be it too i think we know some of the same people probably cool Yeah. So how long had you been making those greeting cards for, though? Because I know I definitely found your greeting cards.
1: I guess a while. I think I started probably uh, in kind of close to the beginning of the pandemic. So mm, sometime in 2020, um, I started printing them. And then now uh, I'm still sort of doing that. I mean, I'm happy to send anybody cards if they would like them. And I'm also doing like selling larger prints. So taking some of the stuff that I post on Instagram and making it larger.
0: Oh, that's awesome. people can hang it. Okay, hearing that timeline, that's not how I found you because I think I've been following your work for longer than that. I think just your fun things that you share on Instagram, you share a lot of like line drawings and they're really funny and they're just super relatable to me. So when did that start? Okay, that started in the
1: winter of 2019. And I know that because I went to this art residency in upstate New York and you, you know, you write to these people and you're like, Hey, I'm going to finish my novel at your residency. And so I went there and I was supposed to be working on this novel in this cabin, but I was just like, Oh, I just am not in the mood to do that. So I started making these little drawings and posting them to Instagram. And it was so nice to get the instant satisfaction of a response, because when you write a novel, it takes a while to write and then it takes a while to get published. It's usually a year between when you finish and when it actually gets seen by people. And by that point, you don't even remember what the novel is about. I mean, (laughs) you're already on to the next thing. So to have this like immediate reaction was so exciting to me.
0: Oh, wow. I bet. Yeah. And I have to be honest. I, like I said, I found you via Instagram. I love all your little quirky drawings, but I had no clue that you also wrote novels. And so now that I was researching you for the podcast and I'm reading the synopsis of all your books, I'm like, oh my God, I would love to read these. Um, I just started reading fiction within the last two years. I mean, for fun. I read it in school, obviously, but actually enjoying reading a book. So I'm pretty new. To the fiction world but what do you like about writing novels uh well welcome to
1: the fiction world glad <laughs> you've crossed over uh why do I like writing novels you know it's just almost like um a compulsion I almost feel like I haven't even decided to do it I'm just doing it like I felt very clear on the fact that I was going to be a writer from the time I was young I think my mom gave me my first journal when I was eight or nine and I have been diligently recording my life since then. It was just like, always felt imperative to me to record the totally mundane details of my life. And I'm drawn to like long distance things. I'm drawn to pain, really. (laughs) So like a complicated jigsaw puzzle or like a really, really long walk. Or like when I was a swimmer in high school, I did the 500 free, which is the long one. Um, So when I went to grad school, you know, a lot of people submit short stories because it's easier to workshop, but I immediately started writing a novel and submitting sections of that. I think I was just made for the longer form.
0: That's fascinating to me because I feel like you have to hold so many things into your mind at once when you're writing something that long. Like, how do you keep it straight? (laughs) Oh, my God. yes, that's a great
1: question. Uh, You do it fairly quickly or I do it fairly quickly. So I like to block off like a chunk of time if i can this is not always possible and you know if you're trying to do this it's especially hard if you have a full-time job and kids and and, you know it's not always possible to block off a huge swath of time but that is what i like to do um and, and then i work very intensely during that period and going to writing residencies is really useful because all you have to do is write all day and people feed you so that's cool
0: I saw or I heard recently, I'm trying to remember who said this, but somebody said in order to like create something or to get in that creative space to write, if you tell yourself I can either do nothing or I write, then that like helps you write. Because after you finally cleared your head with the doing nothing, it's like, okay, this is pretty boring. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's good. That's good advice. Somebody famous said that and I should Google who it was, but there's like a well-known quote about that, but I thought it was really fascinating. Next time I feel stuck, I'm to be like, okay, you can do nothing or do the thing. <laughs> yeah, that I'm I'm going to take that and use it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I also saw, so I, I was researching, I was Googling you, and I saw an article about you and your book about getting clean with Stevie Green. And in that article, you were talking about how many times you rewrote the book. Is that indicative of all the novels you've written? Or was that one particularly hard and you've just reworked it? That one was particularly hard. That one was a totally different experience than the first two books.
1: Um, I'll back up a little bit and say I went to grad school for fiction writing to get an MFA. And during my time there, I wrote a novel and like there was a thesis meeting at the end and the people who read it were like this is great you should send this out so i sent it out to all these agents in new york and i was like i'm for sure about to make it and all of them said the same thing which is this is cool like your characters are cool but nothing is happening in your book so i was like oh dang so i started a whole nother book and then i sent it out to a different group of agents and Almost all of them said the same thing, which is, this is great, but nothing is happening in your book, except for one guy was like, well, that's true, and you should do these 8,000 things, and then I'll represent you. So I did the 8,000 things, and then he was like, no, I'm not going to represent you. So then I got really mad, because in the meantime, I was working as a nanny in Soho. It was like bleak. Uh, i i just thought i need to upgrade my life i gotta get out of this hood thing so i i went to one of these residencies in chicago um and i was just like things have to happen in this novel and what i did differently is i outlined um so i didn't create like a super serious outline but i knew where i was going and i knew that i had to, had to hit certain plot points because things had to happen like to me i when i read stuff and watch stuff i'm interested in what characters are doing i'm interested in like tiny moments with characters like i could write for the rest of my life about a woman in a room with a cracker like one cracker i would like figure it out be interested so the conceit that you have to put you know on the work to make it interesting and to make it entertaining for people is really important um so after i figure that out uh my first two novels happened quickly and easily And I got the agent, and I got the deals, and I was so happy. And then I eventually, sort of like a longer middle story, um, well, I guess I can just say I ended up writing another novel, and it didn't fit with the first two novels. So the first two novels are like, when people ask me, what do you write about? I say women and their feelings. And the first two novels have a woman's head on the cover, which is a very intentional choice made by publishers that's like this is like a book for chicks like that you know um and i wrote this book from the point of view of a man and i was basically told this doesn't fit with your brand and this is not gonna work and that was hard to hear so i ended up starting getting clean with stevie green and i think one of the reasons that that was such a longer process was because i mean a I was like writing the beginning like the first draft of it right after my dad died so it was one of those times where like i probably should have paused and like not written but i just thought i have to lose myself in this novel right now i can't think about my dead dad like this is going to save me um and also because it's much more closely based on my personal life so getting clean with stevie green is about um an alcoholic who's coming to terms with her sexuality um and it took me, that's like my story. It took me a while to figure out I was gay. It took me a while to figure out I was an alcoholic. And those things were like really wrapped up together, you know, intertwined for me. And um, and I set it in my hometown of La Jolla, California. And so I think setting it there, like mentally put me back in high school, which I did not expect. And um, so it was like a more emotional process. And then... After we sold it, my editor said, maybe instead of this being just in Stevie's voice, you should have multiple narrators. And I was immediately like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Like, like whenever I get a really big note, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm never doing that. No. And then I kind of thought about it longer. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. So that's why that book has multiple narrators
0: was that also just a different process because the first two books they were not based on your life or did you kind of have your own stuff into the first two books
1: oh plenty of i mean i think it's inevitable that you end up writing about yourself and your experience um mm-hmm. so yeah i can pluck things out of those book books and be like, like the first one there's um this person who lived in a hippie commune i lived in a hippie commune in brooklyn when i was writing it um And the second one, you know, a woman meets a charismatic yoga teacher, that yoga teacher is based on somebody who I knew. Um, But Getting Clean with Stevie Green is just so much more personal.
0: Was sharing that book and like having it come out a different experience than the other two? It was kind of more fun because I learned that what people care about is who you are.
1: You know, like my first public appearance as an author happened... Uh, After we sold the first book, uh, I went to like the library conference of America or something in Denver. I bought this shirt from Nordstrom. It had these little pine cones on it and they forgot to take the tag off. So I had like this plastic tag that I was trying to hide with my arm and I was really nervous. And this librarian, the first question that anybody ever asked me about that book, which is about a trust fund baby, was, are you a trust fund baby? And I was like, what? This is fiction. Who cares about me? You know, but it turns out that's all people care about. So to be able to share a personal story that is like very closely tied to the actual novel, I mean, certainly not necessary if you're out there trying to write a novel, but um, it does make it more relatable when it comes to the part where you talk about it.
0: For sure. I mean, I know that makes me want to read it a lot more. The thing that actually got me into reading fiction was historical fiction because there was a little bit of realness there that I could like attach to and then also reading memoirs. So, I'm like, yeah, I'm downloading that book ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Thank you. I really want to read it. Another thing that um from obviously following you, I know this, but also researching you a little bit that you weave in humor and comedy into your writing uh is that something that just it's natural to you that's how you kind of see the world that's how you share stories yeah I just
1: I you know I mean if I didn't have a sense of humor I don't know where I would be right now uh I kind of think a lot of things are so bad that we we just have to make them funny I don't know and I have a a mother who's like hilarious and says the most unique things so I think you know I kind of got it from her Yeah. So it just comes naturally.
0: I completely agree. I feel like humor is the the balm or like the salve that we need to get through anything.
1: Totally. Totally. And I just think being self-serious, like whenever I meet somebody who's very self-serious, this doesn't seem that fun to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, what are we all doing here? Who knows? Nobody. Nobody knows what they're doing. It's just funny.
0: Have you ever done any sort of stand-up or do you like keeping your your like comedy in writing? Um, I have never done any stand-up.
1: No. My little brother, I have to stop calling him my little brother because he's 32. <laughs> but he just got his MFA in nonfiction writing from the new school. And when he reads his stuff, he is like a stand-up comic. Cause
0: and it's about our hilarious family. Um so, but no, I haven't done that do you enjoy stand-up comedy like do you ever go to shows that's one thing i miss about la so much i love stand-up comedy i'm obsessed with
1: mark Marin. like obsessed to a degree that doesn't even make sense i think i'm his biggest like gay female fan i listen to every episode of his podcast and i went to see him maybe last year at dynasty typewriter and i was like he is like weirdly hot why like <laughs> <this is> so <laughs> strange I'm just very drawn to Mark Maron and hope to meet him one day. Oh, that's awesome. I love Mark Maron, <laughs>
0: yeah, he's great. Oh, that's amazing. Um, okay. So you talked about your brother, and he also writes, so that is that something that just is in your family? Not really. I mean, it's just us. Um,
1: we're very similar. He's also gay. So there are four of us. It goes me, Flannery, Zara, and Fletcher. Um, so Fletcher's, yeah, um. Uh, a tall, funny, gay guy. Um, So I think we're pretty similar within the clan.
0: That's awesome. So I know we talked about humor being something that helps you get through life, but I also have seen on one of your Instagram posts, you were talking about brain zapping. (laughs) Oh, yeah. TMS. I just would love to dive into any other sort of healing things and modalities, things that you've tried, but what is TMS? And I just want to know more about it personally. Okay. I, uh, I'm so into all healing. I'm
1: like, I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll try it. Um, so TMS is, I'm not going to remember what it stands for. The M is magnet. And basically you go in and they do like a light shock on your head. And this is used for most commonly depression. It's also used for like anxiety and OCD. And uh, different spots on your head relate to those different things. Um for me, it was a huge time commitment because I did it the old way, which is thirty six sessions. You have to go every business day in a row. The session itself only takes like two minutes, but you have to like drive there. You know, I did that because my insurance covered that version. I don't know that a lot of insurances cover the new version, which is, it's like eight days or something, maybe even less than that. I don't know. You, I would have to um, look into it, but I did it because it was covered by insurance and the pros are really high, you know, really big. If you can feel less depressed, less anxious, how amazing. And some of my friends had really benefited from it. So I was like, all right, I'll do this because the only con is like, you get a headache, you know, which who cares? Um, So And I did feel oddly better afterwards.
0: So you did notice an improvement?
1: Yeah, it was nuts. I was like, how could this work? But I I really did start to feel better.
0: Wow. Yeah, I Googled it after seeing your post and it's transcranial magnetic stimulation is what it stands for. But that is wild. I had no clue that you'd have to go that many days in a row. That is a big commitment.
1: (laughs) It was a huge commitment. And uh, that post is really about my brain zapper, Nick, who i saw every day for 36 days and like for the first for the beginning of it he was like every day how are you and i'd be like i'm fine a couple days into it he was like no but really how are you and i was like listen we can't do this every day this is like too much man like This is making me more depressed to have to answer this question in a serious manner with you every single day. Um, so I was a little sour on Nick for a while. I also had to tell him uncomfortability is not a word. He took it really well. He actually, I don't know that this is in the post. After I left that day, he googled uncomfortability. And the next day he was like, I Googled uncomfortability after you left. And then when it wasn't a word, I was like, Oh yeah, Swan's a writer. And I was like, dude. But I came to really love Nick later. So yeah, we formed an unexpected bond.
0: There is a very high chance I will say a word that is not a word. <laughs> on this I mean,
1: we all do, but our friends should call us out.
0: <laughs> I, I can't imagine that though, because I, I've done just therapy having to, I don't know if you've ever done it where they have you fill out or a like questionnaire before that asks you how you are and rates you from like one to 10. It's just too much.
1: It's so hard to answer those. I hate them. I hate them.
0: I hate them so much. And it's like deterring me from wanting to continue therapy through like an insurance based system because the therapist I've seen, that's what she said. It's like the insurance is why I have to do- give you that thing, but we can just try not to do it. I'm like, okay, let's try not to do it because I can't every single time fill that out. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I kind of like barely look at it and just circle stuff. I'm like, okay, I know I need to be sort of depressed for the insurance. So I'll just whatever. <laughs>
0: Um, so is there any other sort of, I don't want to say experimental, but kind of different type of healing things you've tried like the TMS?
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. What are the other things? I mean, after I got sober, I got really into yoga and started doing all different modalities of yoga. I was doing Bikram like every day at 6am when I first got sober in New York. And then I got into Ashtanga and then I did the teacher training at Love. I mean, I don't know. And then there are a lot of like random things. My, my dad lived in Hawaii. And when I was there, he had a housekeeper, his housekeeper Griselda one day was like, you should go to my friend's house and get these crystals put on you to like heal you. And I was like, all right. So I went to this woman's house. She didn't speak English. And she was just like putting crystals on me and also like putting tape on me, like painter's tape. And then chanting like the names of my organs in spanish it was like corazón, so i don't even know what that was about but um pretty much side up for anything
0: well i i definitely i mean i have crystals all around me i love crystals i've uh but i've never heard of adding the painter's tape <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's an interesting <laughs> new addition did you do you think crystals are just totally out there and wacky or did you feel anything
1: calming even though i was on her porch and there were like seven monster trucks parked directly like in front of the porch but after i closed my eyes it was like calming and nice to hear in spanish you know um i do have some rock crystals i don't really understand what they do or but somebody told me to put them in my plants to give them more power so they're all together in my plant
0: i love it i feel like so i'm not somebody who like i do have crystal books I do have things that like say what they are, but I just feel like that's one person's interpretation that felt really tapped in. But for me, I feel like it, uh, I go with the colors of them. And I'm sure through really? your, your yoga stuff, you know all about the chakra system. Like I just connect them to that. It's almost like uh, if you're using the chakra system as a map of healing. Like say you want to work on your solar plexus you might like wear more yellow it's the same thing to me like Mm. connecting to this like physical object so like with my podcast i always have an aquamarine in my hand because it's blue just to connect to the throat and maybe it's all psychosomatic but for me it's just like a physical way to set an intention or to like hold on to something to remember that's cool i love that because i feel
1: like i make you know i set intentions and then i forget them like 10 minutes later so I love the wearing yellow for the solar plexus and that's
0: great. Yeah, I don't know colors for me and just the chakra system, the map of the body. And then whenever I try to explain it to people who really don't get it, I'm like, well, if you are, say, like going into an interview, you might put a watch on because that like just shows like that you're on time and that you're responsible and it conveys something to you and the person. It's like, well, that watch is a physical representation. So like sock aquamarine is just a physical representation for me to you know, really speak calmly or clearly or not make up words.
1: Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a good comp. Cause I realize I only put my watch on when I'm like trying to impress somebody in a professional setting. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'd love to know a little bit more about you. So I know that you mentioned you grew up in La Jolla. I know you've lived in New York for a little bit. Do you want to give us like a little mini synopsis of your journey, how you got to where you are in LA?
1: Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I can kind of just list my city. So I, yeah, lived in La Jolla until I was 18. And then I went to UC Santa Cruz for one year. I had a French teacher there who pulled me aside one day and was like, you are wasting your parents' money and my time. And you should go to France and live with this family and be their au pair for a year. So I went from like, doing a lot of drugs like staying up for like two nights in san pedro with some sketchy characters to getting on a plane and then landing in france and having this perfect family pick me up from the airport and then suddenly i was supposed to take care of these kids and speak french which i barely spoke french so i did that for a year and then while i was there and now we're like friends it's really cute um but while i was there i decided i did not want to go back to uc santa cruz so I read the book, um, 10 Colleges That Changed Lives by Lauren Pope. I still remember this. And it was all about going to a small liberal liberal arts school and like not getting lost. So I applied to all the schools in that book. And I got into some random school called Eckerd College in Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida, that I had never heard of. It was right on the water. There were like hammocks and kayaks. And they gave me some money. And I was like, all right. So then I went there. Um, I spent my junior year abroad in Rome and then I went back to Florida and then after college my mom and my stepdad were like here's ten thousand dollars you have to leave goodbye so I bought a car for five thousand dollars and a map of the US and for one second I was like maybe I'll move to Denver and then I was like what am I talking about? I can't move to Denver um so I drove to Boston like I didn't even know anybody in Boston and I cause yeah, I still don't even really remember why I made that choice, but I moved to Boston and created a life from Craigslist, really. I ended up getting some jobs. I went through a period of babysitting old men. I still need to write about that at some point. Um, and then I got into grad school and moved to New York. And I lived on the Upper West Side for three years. That's when I got sober. And then I was like, I can't live over here. It's too cold. Like, I don't like seasons. Like, this is like too drastic for me. So I left and I was like, I'm moving to Santa Monica. I'm moving to the beach because I don't understand living inland. I grew up on the coast. So I went to Santa Monica and I lived in the most depressing bachelor apartment, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically a hotel room with like no kitchen. Um, I lived there for seven months. I got into this residency and um, in New Hampshire and I was like, at first I was like, okay, I'll put my stuff in storage and then come back here. And then I was like, what am I even doing in Santa Monica? I was working at Lululemon with these like 23 year olds who just graduated from USC and lived with their parents. It was like, I was like, did not find my people. So then I packed my car and drove back to the East coast and ended up living in Brooklyn in this hippie commune for a couple of years. And then I lived in Northern California, um, in Oakland and then Marin County, and then i moved to la about five years ago and i'm like so over moving i feel like i've done all my research i'm gonna die here
0: if that's your forever home
1: this is this is it <laughs> i mean i kind of would like to maybe i'll die in hawaii i do feel very connected to hawaii but i'm happy to be back in southern
0: california i i uh, also would be happy to die in hawaii that wouldn't be bad <laughs> i, love hawaii. I know, right <laughs>
1: I don't know if that's where we're going next
0: <laughs> I, I joke that I uh, currently live in a hippie commune I'm on a property here that has now four families and there's a fifth uh, person moving in but we all have our own little homes so this isn't I mean it's not a real hippie commune but I always joke that this is because there's one family that like built a house up a couple acres and so we live in their old farmhouse and then they moved a farmer onto the land that he lives in like a hoop house he built and they transitioned to the barn into an apartment and there's people from Lithuania living there. And then now they're moving in this like old man in the community uh, into a studio apartment in the barn, too. So this is kind of it. Call <laughs> but this is
1: like a compound. Do you guys hang out in this central area? There, it's, it's actually like,
0: I mean, it's beautiful. It's this big chunk of land with all these trees and redwoods. Um, but we see each other when we walk by. And if it's someone's birthday, we'll like have tea and stuff. So it's not... It's not that right. big, but I would love to know more about the commune you lived in and what drew oh you my there. God. Well,
1: what drew me there is I met a guy at the residency because I just got to this residency and I was like, well, I guess I should move to New York again after this because what am I doing in LA right now? It doesn't make sense. Or in Santa Monica specifically. Um, I should say for people who don't know LA, I live on the east side of LA now, which is a totally different experience. Love Santa Monica, but it's a different experience. Um I yeah met some guy at the residency and um and ended up and he lived in the commune and I went there and it, I mean it was this gorgeous brownstone in Fort Greene there are like three good streets in Fort Greene it's one of the good streets amazing piece of real estate so cheap like unbelievably cheap and but you had to do chores and it smelled perpetually like curry and we had to have these house meetings and at one of our house meetings we were having like a rat problem and somebody literally said rats are our friends and i was like where am i and people would instead of throwing away their their lint from the dryer there was this little baggie next to the dryer that said like lint for campfires which i never really understood like you use lint i should like set that on fire um and people would collect stuff like people did not like to throw things away there one time i ordered what i thought was one plunger i'm not very good at looking at the dimensions when i order stuff so instead of one plunger four teeny plungers arrived, and i was like what am i gonna do with these what are these even for i don't want them so i threw them in the trash can somebody took them out of the trash can and like placed them on the counter and i was like Are you serious? Like they were going to make something with it. I mean, we had a toilet in the backyard that became a planter. It was an interesting experience. It
0: sounds like something that is a part of a fiction book, but it's like a real, that was your real experience there. Was it filled with other creatives though? And any other writers or? Um, Yeah, most of the other people
1: were creative people. There were like visual artists. The guy I met at the residency did, he was like a performance artist and he did a bunch of other stuff. And then there was the owner who, uh, had worked at the MTA. I think he was an engineer for the MTA for like many years. Um, and his daughter lived there. Yeah. And I mean, some things about it were, were really good. It was like, people were in, were interested in, you know, not being wasteful and recycling and caring about the planet. Um, but the house meetings, I just like don't deal well with that type of bureaucracy where things are like so inefficient, literally every house meeting, the same person would complain about the same hair in the same drain. It was like, there's hair in the drain still. And I was like, I am going to kill myself at this table.
0: (laughs) Why are we still talking about this? I know as much as I like love living here. I just, man, like once I finally moved away from having a roommate and now, I mean, I live with my husband now, so now I have a perpetual roommate, but having that freedom, like I can't imagine being with so many uh, interesting personality types. It was a lot, yeah. (laughs) So talking about creativity though, I would love to know, uh, in your opinion, like, do you believe creativity is something that some people are just inherently born with or do you feel like it's something that you can kind of learn and feed and grow?
1: I think we are all born as creative beings. All kids are creative. The people who don't end up being creative adults in my opinion, it's because creativity was beat out of them, you know, with ideas about what they should be doing. But yes, I think being creative is like a natural part of every human's existence, whether it's buried or expressed. And I know for myself and for other people who identify themselves as like creative people with creative jobs, if I'm not making something, I like don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, this... It feels horrible to me. So, you know, it's kind of the same as humor. Humor is a way to to comment on the state of things and so is making stuff. Um, so it has always felt uh, like a balm to me.
0: Sorry if you're hearing that noise. My dog is trying to eat my leftover smoothie. <laughs> oh. Get out of here, yeah, dog. <laughs> um, do you do anything personally to, like, help inspire creativity if maybe you're not feeling creative or do you just allow that day to be awash and not or do you have practices that help you um i just don't really put any pressure on myself i mean but i seem to be naturally
1: drawn to just like making stuff um i'm really good at being in denial so i'm good at compartmentalizing so i can somehow divorce myself from the idea of like an audience and what this is going to end up being And you know that's where a lot of people get stuck and that's where the fear kicks in it's like what are other people going to think of this who cares you know, um, again, nobody knows what they're doing. So yeah, I like to just doodle and, um, and write stuff, which is what I was doing when I was eight.
0: I agree with that. And I think that's really amazing that you can separate yourself from that because I know through like my classes growing up in English and stuff, the first thing was think about your audience, think about your audience. I feel like they like drill that into your head in school.
1: It's such bad advice. <laughs>
0: it's horrible <laughs> advice. Yeah. But I will say, as far as your bad mood book, how is how is writing that? Because this is totally different than your your novels.
1: Oh, my God. The bad mood book thing. This whole gift book world is so fun. I cannot believe I'm getting paid to make these things. So I'll just briefly explain it. It's an interactive workbook that I'm hoping you'll buy for your friends who are in a bad mood. You know, it's like a stocking stuffer type of thing. And I ask you to do things to answer prompts and like do silly exercises. And it's just really fun. And the reason that I did that is because I was on a hike with my friend Nicole, who's an agent a couple years ago. And I was like, Nicole, I can't ghostwrite any more memoirs for like reality TV stars. This is horrible. And she said, you should take those things that you're doing on Instagram, and you should make it into a gift book. And like, here's exactly what you need to do. And so I just like wrote a proposal and then somebody bought it and I was like, what? I'm getting paid to make this. That's great. And I have one coming out next year, which I'm excited about. But yeah, the bad mood book is just fun. I mean, it's just pure fun and it doesn't get reviewed, at least not to my knowledge. Like I'm just, I mean, it just came out the other day, so I don't even know what's going on. I don't even understand what the goal is really. I guess it's to get in target that's the
0: goal (laughs) i guess i don't even know but it's like so low stakes it feels like pure it is a really fun book though and i have to be honest when i got it in the mail i was like okay i'm gonna wait until i'm actually in a bad mood to read it and of course it just took me like a couple days and i was in a bad mood i'm like i'm gonna try to read it and I was like, OK. And like, by the end of it, it got me out of my funk. That was good. But then today, before we sat down, I got in a really bad mood right before this, I'll be honest. And I opened it up. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read it again. And the part where it said, uh, punch this dot. I literally punched the dot. And I was like, Oh, my God, that felt really good. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. I'm So happy you did that. (laughs) That is exactly what I needed in that moment. But I have not um, been able to do some of the things you mentioned, like rip some things out of the book. I have not been able to do that. And I know you say like, it's just a book, like, rip it up. But I haven't yet. I want to it sounds therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is therapeutic. I wonder if other people are feeling
1: that same way. You're the first person to give me feedback on that.
0: Has And, and do you know other people that have ripped it up and done it? what you've said? No, nobody has mentioned it. Now I'm gonna have to ask people, are you doing what I said? I just have a hard time doing it. I mean, I'm even somebody. So I just recently, uh, the podcast right before this one, I talk about one of my favorite books, women who run with the wolves. And when I picked it back up to write, have you read that book by the way? No. I really love it. Um, I when I picked it up to to record the podcast about it, I was mad at myself that I didn't use a highlighter and highlight my favorite parts because, again, I didn't want to like mess up the book. And but instead, I'll like dog ear a page. So I had like a hundred different pages in it dog eared. But I'm like, where is the, like if I just highlighted it or like made notes in the margin, it would have been a lot easier (laughs) to go back. So funny. So do you have any uh, favorite books or is there a book that you are reading right now that you want to share about?
1: Um, You know, I just started reading Crying in H-Mart because that book like will not go away. It's just everywhere all the time. Um, And I just started it last night. I'm enjoying it so far. People I really love. I'm drawn to memoirs right now. I'm thinking about writing a memoir myself. I love Mary Carr. Mary Carr is a magnificent blend of intelligence and humor and like dark humor she's had like she had a pretty dark beginning and it's just very funny and smart about it um she also has a great book about sobriety called lit she's also a sober person um i really like rachel cusk she's british um i'm into gabor mate he talks a lot about addiction and i think he has some really interesting ideas uh that are new um i'm now looking at my bookshelf patty smith love patty smith also love listening to her audiobooks because she reads them herself and her voice is very distinct
0: that's my favorite If, if have you read for any of your own audiobooks no because novels they hire actors
1: but if i do a memoir i'm sure i would read it
0: yeah i i love it when it's the act actual author i know it's so magical you should write a memoir
1: i'm working on it
0: you really should that would be awesome have you read uh year of horses no that was the last memoir i read and i can't remember the name of the the writer off the top of my head but it's pretty awesome uh i'm gonna have to google everyone that you just mentioned besides patty smith i I need to google everyone else
1: (laughs) oh great well i'm happy to remind you whenever
0: (laughs) thank you yeah send me the links we'll put them in the show notes Okay. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I do have a few more questions that I'd love to ask you. I would love to ask how sobriety has impacted if it has your creative process at all.
1: This is actually like a, I, what I hope is a helpful point to people because I, when I was in grad school, um, would only write while I was drinking because it quieted that voice. You know, I was just like, I got into who cares mode. And I mean, for years before that, I did the same thing when I was living in Boston. I was just like drink and write, drink and write, drink and write. There's a long history of writers who are drinking and writing. Um, It only works up to a point. Then you have to like, you know, stop writing when you get too drunk. Um, Because, of course, I never actually stopped drinking. I would have to like totally pass out at the end of the evening. And for a second, when I got sober, I was like, I'm halfway through grad school. I could either get really self-conscious and make this into a thing or just be like you know what we're doing this and we're not going to drink anymore and i think just remembering like writing is not you know we're not curing cancer we're not going to the moon we're just writing stuff down like i think the fear is tied in with an uh, like an element of self-seriousness you know like it doesn't matter if you are having fun doing it, that's why you should do it for, for the journey of doing it, not because you want somebody to like it.
0: That's some really good advice. I feel like that is definitely something that stops people. And going back to what you said about not thinking about the audience, um, but you're right with alcohol, most people say, like, right, drunk, it, sober. Like, that's like the saying. <laughs> so, t- right, right. Taking that away and having to get there without the substance it either is something you can learn to do or if i wonder if it's challenging yeah i mean i got into it pretty quickly i just like
1: i think you know just remembering that there's not really much at stake and also if you're not a writer and you're trying to write a book your draft of your book should be that like this is what i tell my students who are like i'm gonna write this book often these books that they want to write for the first time are like insanely complicated it's like i'm gonna write a book set in outer space in the victorian area era and it's going to have like seven narrators. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You need to just f- focus on one thing. But then, you know, people are very worried that it's going to be bad. And I'm like, of course, it's going to be bad. If you haven't written a book before, why would not it be good? Like you have to put in the hours, you know, it's really, this is the magic of writing, which is not magical at all. You just have to sit in the chair and you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And it's about the long game. You just keep doing it. Um, I went to grad school with people who are far more talented than I am. And a lot of them aren't writing books now because it's not really about talent. Talent is like the extra cherry on the top. It's about determination.
0: I really love that. And that's one thing that when I, I read that article about you editing and rewriting that book so much, I just wondered how the process of writing goes and how you edit things down because... I mean, I think it would be pretty hard to get feedback from editors or from publishers and make changes to something that you wrote, especially if it's something super special to you or like about your own life. Yeah.
1: You know, when I took all those notes from that agent, when he said, I take these 8,000 notes and then I'll represent you. And then he ended up not doing it. That was a big lesson to me in taking notes. When you're taking notes, you have to, A, you have to figure out who you're taking notes from. I've learned that a lot of the people who I think are going to be good readers do not end up being good readers. And some of the people who I'm like, I don't know about you, end up being really useful. You want somebody who's going to be honest but not break your heart, in my opinion, and uh, but who's not going to lie to you and not say, like, this is great. If somebody is reading your stuff and just says, this is great, they're fired. Like, that's totally unhelpful. And learning how to filter out advice, you know, is... uh, whatever if you're just following your your gut you'll get there um if people keep bumping up on the same thing that's a sign that that thing probably needs to change yeah i think it's just the most important thing is getting a supportive world around you you know so you don't feel so alone it's a very isolating thing writing novels
0: yeah i bet and you mentioned too you said students do you teach as well i do teach um i teach online sometimes
1: I'm teaching some classes on, on writersworkshop.com. I hope I just said that right. This is the first time I'm teaching for them. If you want to know more, you can DM me. Yeah, but oh, writingworkshop.com. I think that's it. I'm teaching a six-week class on the novel. So like the basic foundational choices that you need to make in order to start your novel. You know, it's just useful to think of, to, to like prepare um and then the other class is Remember When Writing Was Fun and it's a 3 week boot camp to revive your writing practice. Really, it's for people who are feeling stuck. So that's like any writer at any level writing anything can sign up for that one.
0: That's awesome. I've always wanted to take a writing workshop. I feel like I used to enjoy writing uh growing up and in school when I had different, you know, classes and tasks that I had to write for. But now I I don't know. I feel like I really like talking, hence this podcast. Um, But when I was doing a podcast all about creativity, uh, there was a study that I cite there that talks about people who take writing workshops, like increases their overall happiness just from like diving into something like a writing workshop, um, which makes me want to do it even more now. (laughs)
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think people really benefit from the community aspect of it because a lot of people are struggling with the same things. And you don't really know that other people are out there you know basically having your same journey until you start talking to them for sure and then the other thing is like you can leave the class with readers who know what you're working on and those people can become your friends and useful to you later
0: that's awesome yeah we'll share that um link to the classes that you're teaching in our show notes as well okay cool i will send that along so to wrap this up i would love to ask you just some rapid fire questions
1: Oh my god! So you don't okay. have to think
0: about them too too much. But what is your favorite way to relax?
1: Oh my god,
0: uh, I love going upside
1: down in my stand up inversion thing.
0: I've always Feed try one of those. That is so cool. It's the best. How long do you hang out like that?
1: I can kind of hang out a while because I I do it so frequently. I'm like a bat, um, at least a minute sometimes too. It feels great. That's awesome. Uh, what is your favorite snack?
0: Bananas. <laughs>
1: Why is that funny? It was so
0: <laughs> fast you knew it immediately. <laughs> I did. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? I really want to go to South
1: America, Buenos Aires oh, specifically.
0: Super cool. Uh what's your favorite way to get exercise or move your body?
1: Oh man, I love hiking. I love I went to a spin class this morning. I love exercising.
0: I just I think it's like a
1: celebration of my working body and it's fun um so yeah open to many different
0: are you still doing forms. lots of yoga i still am doing a lot
1: of yoga i got injured recently i got a torn meniscus and a torn hamstring so now i'm doing more like strength pilates stuff i found this woman on instagram her name is leah bartha or bartha i don't even know but whatever she's doing is cool it's like pilates um and she uses this little ball It looks easy but it's not um and she's like gorgeous and her body is the body that everybody wants so (laughs) (laughs)
0: um what is your favorite thing to do for self-care like honestly be anything but how do you care for massage i am a massage junkie
1: i go see nikki down the street i like the thai massage setup yeah my masseuse Nikki is down the street and I see her at
0: least once a week. That's something I really miss about living out here in the woods. I don't have that. Yeah. It's like a plus one for a city life. Um, do you have a favorite quote that you live by? Oh my God. Okay. There is this quote
1: that allegedly the Buddha said. Okay, wait. I'm actually going to try to find it. No, here it is. In the end, only three things matter. How much you loved, how gently you lived, and how gracefully you let go of things not meant for you. When I read that, I was like, dang, that's kind of everything.
0: I really like that. Uh, you I, you kind of already answered this question. What's your favorite podcast? Yours. <laughs> Mark Merritt. <laughs> and, and Mark Merritt.
1: <laughs> Mar- <laughs> I feel like everyone has to say yours when you ask that
0: uh no (laughs) what is your favorite thing to do on a rainy day
1: Be on the couch reading
0: easy what's your favorite thing to do on a sunny day
1: hiking and swimming
0: have you done much hiking up here the trails are insane did you hike when you were up here were you just like not in that stage of your life
1: (laughs) i was like nodding off on drugs like i don't (laughs) i mean I remember doing some drug called AMT. I don't even know what that is now. Like, yeah, it was a blur of a year.
0: Well, if you ever come up here in your hiking era, there are some insane hikes up here. It's amazing.
1: Oh, my God. I'm sure it's so pretty up there.
0: So the last thing that I always do with every guest is my woo-woo thing where I tell you what crystal I have in the room that I think kind of represents you. Um, And I was like, I don't know her very well. So this is kind of hard to like get what I think is her energy but what I picked was a clear quartz that's rutilated with black root tiles kind of like the stick figures that you draw. And I just love it too because the the drawings are very very grounding but the quartz is said to be really amplifying which I feel like how we talked about humor is super amplifying and can kind of change things. so this is you in crystal form. you're rutilated. I quartz. love that. Thank you. that's so cool. Is there any last things that you'd like to share with people listening? Have a great day, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Swan. (laughs) I really appreciated you coming on and and talking and answering all my questions.
1: Thank you. This was so fun. I'm so happy to finally meet you uh, on a screen.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Conversations with Moon Body Soul. Be sure to follow if you don't want to miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and a rating. And if you want to email over any special guests or topic suggestions, email hello at moonbodysoul.com.